Hello and welcome to Adventures in Venue Land, an EVMC podcast. Join us for this all-access pass backstage and behind the scenes with some of the brightest minds that cross the scope of the live event industry. I'm Dave Rettelberger. And I'm Paul Hooper. We'll introduce you to incredible guests who journey with us as we dive deep into the world of venues, tours, festivals, and everything in between. Grab your laminate and meet us in Venue Land. Hello, and welcome to part two of a detour episode of Adventures in Venue Land, an EVMC podcast. I'm Dave Rettelberger, and along with my co-host, Paul Hooper, today's episode, again, a little bit different. It's a detour or side trip where we take a look at a topic impacting the live entertainment industry. And this week, uh, Paul and I are doing a series of special episodes focusing all about mental health. Uh, today, we're kind of talking specifically about that that work-life balance that eludes us all. Uh, and we're talking with our friends from from Backline, a great organization, which we'll learn a little bit more about if you hadn't heard part one. But we'll dig in a little deeper on a few issues today. Uh, Paul, would you be so kind as to introduce our guest? Sure, of course. We're joined by Hallie Lincoln, who's the director of case management and also a co-founder of Backline. Welcome. We're excited to talk to you. Me too. Thanks for having me. So we, uh, for folks who maybe uh, skipped episode one and jumped right in on episode two, and there's always those people, right, <laughs> who uh, do do that. Uh, give us a little bit about Backline uh, and how you became a co-founder. Sure. Yeah. So Backline is um, essentially a resource hub for the music industry where we provide folks with the resources to um, uh, sort of thrive in terms of their mental health and wellness goals. And so... I was brought into the mix um, actually via a family connection. My brother is a um, touring lighting designer and has been with a nationally touring band for about 15 years or so. And so I have some secondhand personal experience to what it looks like to be someone who's, you know, out on the road and in this kind of wild industry, right, for about, you know, 40 weeks a year. I think when he started with them, they were touring just about that much and and saw and have seen, you know, the the massive impact that working in such a unique industry has on him and our family and the way in which he, you know, can show up in the family dynamic and that kind of thing. So I was brought in, um, as you mentioned, as a co-founder. So I've been here from the get-go. And our first program that we ever launched is the one that I helped put together and now I'm the director of, which is our case management program, where we provide one-on-one hand-holding and assistance for all different folks in the music industry, whether or not you are a artist, crew member, venue staff, um, tour bus driver, or family member of someone in the industry. You can get on the phone with um, a uh, mental health professional, someone on my team, and we will walk through with you, you know, what's coming up, what resources you're looking for, whether or not that is life coaching or connecting with a therapist, that kind of thing, and walk through the process with you to help ensure that we get you connected to someone who will be the best fit for you based on um, what we hear on that phone call from you, what what you're looking for, and then are able to connect you with one of our um, trusted and vetted providers, which I think at this point this week, we hit over the 600 mark of having um, partnering either therapists or uh, coaches across the country. I think we have someone in all 50 states and we just reached the uh, 600 mark. So 
lots of folks out there. It's impressive. Helping to support yeah. the mission. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's a lot. So, so what do you actually do on a day-to-day basis? What's, what is your, what is your role with, with backline? Yeah. So as I said, I um, head up the case management department. So I oversee a team of case managers at this point. We do, like I said, there's those one-on-one phone calls that um, each of the team members takes with folks. And then we do client consultations. So they'll come to me and say, this is what I'm hearing from the person. Who do you think might be the best fit in terms of specialty? Or, um, you know, this is their first time in therapy. How would I talk to them about getting into therapy via telehealth, right? Instead of doing it in person, that kind of thing. So I oversee that team. Um, I do partnership development. Um, we have a lot of partners that we work with that support our mission and so help help with that. Um, I kind of wear a whole bunch of hats, but my primary <laughs> hat is the case management department. We know the mini hat wearing well. Yeah, I think that right. is a, <laughs> a signifier of working in live events or anything associated with it. Right. It's like you have one title and then 17. Yes, right. Points. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we all we can add it to our resume and it'll be a 40 page resume. Exactly. <laughs> so as we talk about work life balance, I'm sure, you know, you're hearing a lot from different people. I'm sure it varies greatly depending on what their role is in live events. You know, if you're touring, that obviously presents lots of challenges. But, you know, even if you're at an arena or a stadium or a theater or something, you're working nonstop during the day, then you're having to work these events that are often in the evenings or on weekends. And so it really does pull a lot, I think, from people that are in that industry. And I think anyone who works in it, you know, knows the draw and the excitement, you know, it's great. You're working in events, you're seeing concerts, you're seeing shows and events, you know, there's all these beautiful, amazing pluses, but that is one of the largest minuses. And I think often you do see people leave the industry because they're wanting more work-life balance or they're starting a family or anything like that. Is there certain through lines or themes that you're seeing with people or some sort of success stories that you've maybe run across that, you know, where people have done a good job of managing some of that time better? Yeah, yeah, certainly. So I think, you know, what we're seeing primarily right now from folks in the last, let's say, year, right? And I think if you look at that year, it's also important to note how, so if we go back to September of 2022, right, that the industry has been in this weird, quote unquote, post-pandemic world, right? And everything has shifted and things have been different from what I from what I hear from folks on the ground than they were pre-pandemic. Things have changed and shifted. Um, and what we're hearing, I think, the most right now is people really struggling with a whole lot of burnout. I think you know what I've we we have some support groups that we run, and what I've heard just in, more in the last few weeks also is people saying, you know, the post-pandemic industry experience we were sort of promised would be more supportive, we would have more support from the powers that be essentially, and that it hasn't really been that it's been kind of the opposite. It's been, we have more events going on that we're packing them in and you got to keep up with the pace. And that is incredibly, incredibly difficult to do, especially, you know, some of those unique pieces that you named, right. Almost like a nocturnal lifestyle, right. You're starting in the late afternoon and staying until early morning. And that doesn't give you much time to spend with family or loved ones, or even think about starting a family, that type of thing, right? It's really so much different than someone who works, you know, a nine to five or just any sort of job that doesn't require you being there 
in the time when we all think about the time that you can spend with friends, family, and doing the things that fill your cup. So, you know, this year, just in and of itself, we heard um, of our submissions that we've gotten through case management, 75% of folks um, reported having anxiety related to the industry and their job, and 67% um, reported experiencing depression. And actually 92% of people who have come through our case management program this year were looking for help getting connected with a therapist. And that is certainly, I think, what we're best known for. Um, but what I've heard on those calls and in the support groups, right, is this, this burnout, this anxiety that I'm feeling around, do I want to pivot to a different um, industry? Do I even have any other skills, right? Yeah, right, um, I get that. Right. right, especially yeah. if you're so far into your career, it's like, well, now what do I do? This is what I've built up and now what, right? I don't feel like I have other options. And so I think what I've heard from people is I'm actually ready to take the step to start to talk to someone about this. I mean, 92% right of people saying I actually want to get into therapy and a whole lot of those people are doing it for the first time. And something that I think really is the coolest piece about Backline is the success stories of people saying, you know, I've, if I have been to therapy before, when I met with a backline therapist, that person really understood my lifestyle, understands that I'm working these wonky hours and that I have attachment issues with my partner and family because I'm away all the time on tour or not there for family dinners, that type of thing. Yeah. And I've spent a lot of time working with a therapist before who didn't really get that. And I spent so much time, energy and money explaining that to them. But when I started working with an industry focused therapist of which we have many through the backline network, they got it right. And they helped me then to create some better routine. I think that's a huge, huge piece as we were talking, as I was thinking about the work-life balance piece and how to speak to some of the success stories that that I have heard, I think routine is a huge part of it, right? So you do have, again, like this nocturnal lifestyle, right? And so does that mean that, that that means essentially that the other part of your day has to be spent doing the things that you can for yourself, right? Going to the grocery store, moving your body, spending time with your family, if possible, doing the things that make you feel good. And then on the other end, right, you're at work. Um, and so setting, having almost like a reverse routine sometimes for people, but recognizing that that's what it is, you know, this week, I think has been something that I've heard as being successful, really like identifying what I have. And these are, these are the pieces that I have to work with. And so I'm going to set up sort of the way I want to structure my week. Um, goal setting also, I think, right. As you're sort of navigating do, do I want to stay in this industry? And if I do, right, and this is something I'm passionate about and you spoke to it well, Paul, like there's a lot of really exciting pieces about it, right? And people love it for a reason and they're there for those reasons. What do I want to accomplish here in terms of, you know, financial goals, things on my resume? Do I want to start working up the ladder and have different positions in the future, that type of thing. I think working with a therapist or a life coach around those bigger, sometimes scary topics to think about and talk about can really help with that work-life balance as you're trying to figure out like what's important to me and where maybe some compromises or sacrifices I want to make to, to attain those goals. And if you feel like you're compromising too much, right, and it's compromising maybe the things that are also important to you, like having relationships, which I think I hear is like the 
not even romantic relationships, just that, you know, family relationships, relationships with kiddos or romantic relationship, that type of thing is, is the thing that's probably the most compromised or that I hear being the most compromised with folks working in the industry because it's because the hours and the demand is so, so tough. I, you know, we've had we've had events the last two nights. Right. So I haven't mm-hmm. seen my my wife in a, in a couple of days and some nights. And I'm sure you see this all across the industry. Right. You come home from your experience where you were just with 18,000 screaming fans and everyone's so excited. It's the best night of their lives. And you walk in the door and your spouse is like, yeah, the fridge is leaking and we got to deal with this. And all of a sudden you're like, it's it's a, it's a different. And, and so coming down from that, that the highs and the lows of that um, can be a challenge as well. Absolutely. And that's something that we've actually talked a lot about this in a few different capacities at Backline recently and just released um, a new resource that is called the Touring Notebook. And I know that in the in the name, right, it is sort of geared towards, uh, it sounds like it's geared towards folks who are actually out on a tour bus, but it, there's so many beautiful and amazing resources in there that help I would say just that really can be helpful for just about any person because there's um, grounding exercises in there, things to just sort of like psychoeducational pieces around how to create boundaries and things for time management and that type of thing. But also there's a bunch that are very music industry focused. And one of those in particular is having almost like a plan with your partner, for example, or your wife, right, Dave, where you have a common understanding that either when I'm coming back from being out for a few nights working or when I'm coming back from being out for a few nights on or a few weeks rather on tour, I need a certain, I need an agreement between the two of us that I'm going to have a certain amount of time to settle back into the family routine, to settle back into the home and not walk into, you know, the fridge is leaking and I need you to get to it. Um, Because (laughs) I imagine that your response to that is like, I, have more gas in the tank and then she's like well you've been gone for a while blah 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 right, yeah yeah, husband, yeah right and having an understanding having conversations opening up the communication with partners who i think really do have a conceptualization right of what it looks like to have their their spouse out working in this industry that's so demanding in such a unique way but to not really I think even even I, right, who have never been in that position, don't entirely understand it. I can conceptualize it, but it's never been my experience. So having people talk to me about their experience, similarly to the way a partner would to um, or a touring professional would to their partner and explaining like this is really what I'm experiencing. And I need I'm making this ask of you of like I need a certain amount of time to settle back in before the demands are put on me or before, you know, I have to take the kids on my own, for example, which is tough too, because I know that like kids, you know, when they're, when their parent comes back from tour, so excited. And then it's like, I actually need, you know, 12 hours at least to maybe catch up on a little sleep, but also settle back in. And then we can sort of recalibrate. You just kind of got to hit that reboot button. Yeah. Good word. Good word. Recalibrate. Yeah. Let's say someone is, I would say probably a lot of people listening to this that are wanting that better work-life balance. Sometimes they have the vision. Sometimes they, have the you know desire the motivation to do it and then they have a boss who doesn't really understand it or sometimes i'll hear from peers of mine i've seen it myself sometimes where even the boss will say you need to have better work-life balance we need to do better work-life balance but then they don't actually go through with the action of providing it um what what do you recommend to maybe that employee or, you know, even 
for them to kind of instill on people that report to them, but for how to have like a real conversation, you know, with that boss and not just, you know, having them saying, oh, I'm checking the box by telling you, you should have it, but more of like, how do you follow through and like, you know, have these conversations and really work it out and respect it, you know, because I think it's one thing with so many things we've heard over the last couple of years, it's one thing entirely different to check the box and say, we had a conversation about work-life balance and it's something totally different not to, the actually, reality, yeah. to actually go through and say, not only are we going to have a conversation, but here's how we're going to change it. And here is how I'm going to respect you as my employee. This is such a, a tough one, right? Because I think yeah, let's, I hear this let's so jam often. it and solve it in like two minutes. Yeah, I know this is an easy yeah, point. You. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think every situation is different. <laughs> Obviously, you know, I've heard of plenty. Uh, we talk about this in support groups a lot, actually. And I've heard a different perspective often from females than I have from males, given it's such a male dominated industry. I've heard so often females feel less empowered or even just enabled to try to bring up that conversation again, for example, and and say to the boss, right, I'm not just looking for, well, I would like to bring up the conversation again, not just to check the box, but to actually talk about how you think I could get some of your support in this, that type of thing. And I've heard so frequently from them, right, that depending on where they are in their career, or even just the fact that it's difficult sometimes to have that conversation with in a male-dominated industry, if your boss is a male, for example, um, that it feels like, you know, if I'm asking for this thing, they might just slide me to the side and say, I'll find someone who's not going to ask me to help support their better work-life balance, right? And that's not just for females. Um, it just happened to be that we were talking about that specifically recently in one of our support groups um, from that perspective. But I think, you know, that sort of goes back to the goal setting piece of, and maybe I'm, try, I'm trying to give you even a better way to describe that, like a values identification exercise for yourself also, right? So what are the values that are most important to me as it relates to my career and my personal life and what I want for my life? And do I feel as though I'm getting any support around these pieces in my career? And if not, how can I try to advocate for myself? with them, right? And I recognize that not every boss is going to be so willing to support and be open to that conversation, um, which is really, really challenging. But I think, you know, advocating for yourself and reminding that person, this is something that you had brought up to me and sounded like it was, you know, something that you were going to support. And I would, and now I'm really trying to figure it out for myself so that I can show up better in my, um, in my roles and on my shifts. And this is what I'm thinking. And could I get some of your support around this? And even just having, I think, the communication and uh, with that person to let them know that you're being intentional about trying to strike a better balance there can make a difference. All right. Let me, before we we uh, wrap things up uh, here, because I know we're just about out of time. One of the biggest challenges to work-life balance is this thing I'm holding in my hand, my cell phone. Mm -hmm. It's like we carry around the office with us all the time. What tips do you have for people in this industry when we're getting, you know, show announcements at 11 o'clock at night on a Sunday for a 7 a.m. Monday announcement? And, you know, we feel like we're disconnected from our social media accounts. And what if people are, you know, bombing us on social media? There's all kinds of things that we feel like we always have to be checking. And I don't, sometimes I feel like I can't relax unless I know that everything's okay. Mm, right. So I feel yeah. like I have to check my phone to make sure before I can feel like I can relax. So, so what, what tool, tips do you have for kind of separating that yourself from, from that phone that's always in there and the fact that you're always checking in with the work there? Yeah. With a hammer. 
<laughs> that is my suggestion. Throw it out the window. Titanium metal. <laughs> you know, I think this goes back to the boundaries piece. And I think that the iPhone or whatever, I, I have an iPhone. So I think that they have some of these, uh, what do you call it? Um, the time limitations, right? That I know you can scroll through and it's very easy to just say, remind me in an hour type of thing. But going back to setting some boundaries for yourself, right? Of I completed what I needed to do at work for today, checking all those boxes, right? And then knowing that, I mean, I wonder, Dave, if you see a email come through that has an announcement for something that's next week, does it feel to you at that 11 p.m. time when you're trying to wind down that you need to jump to it and, and make plans there? Or is it something that you feel like you could actually say, I'm going to set a boundary for myself. I'm not going to go on my phone or I'm going to plug it in the kitchen when I go to sleep after 11 p.m. Yeah, I, I actually just started putting it in another room, right? That was the key for me is to actually set it yeah. down and walk away. Yeah. Uh, at a certain time at night where I'm like, okay, now it's time for me to do this and I'm not going to look until tomorrow. And and, every, and my coworkers, if you really need me, if there's something that pops up, there was an emergency, call me yeah. and I'll be there for you and I'll jump in. But I'm not, uh, I, I do stop checking after a certain time because uh, I, I had to do that. I, I had to create that, that separation yeah. and that balance to yeah. uh, be able to be healthy the next day. Exactly. And recognizing, right, that as much as I, and I get this feeling, it can feel like work is the only thing that matters in those situations when things feel like they're blowing up. And then when you take a step back and you recognize like this is actually not life and death, I'm more than likely not going to lose my job over, you know, not looking at an email past certain point. Um, there is an emergency situation. Someone will get in touch with me, but you got to set those boundaries for yourself, right? Because if you are just continuously connected to it all the time, as we all know from all the studies, right, just having our phones with us and social media and all that stuff all the time is not good for our mental health, but also that, you know, you want to be able to have some separation there. And as we're talking again about that work-life balance, right, you've got to decide what's important for you and identify those pieces and then start to act on them. And I say that all knowing that it's easier said than done and it's a practice. This is not going to be something that happens overnight. It's something that you work towards. And then you identify, right, where did I slip up a little bit and what was coming up then? Was it because I thought it was so important that moment that it would impact, you know, the future of my job here? Or was it that I you know, feel like I actually can't put work down? And that might be something, right, to also look at potentially in therapy. Well, I like to, with those goals, it's like you're implying to, when you're setting those for yourself, understanding which ones are flexible and which ones mm -hmm. are a hard line in the sand. So if you are exactly. setting, whether it's a goal with your boss or what you're wanting in your career, okay, this is something I can adjust. But if I'm not getting this either from myself or I'm not getting it from my boss or the company I'm at, mm -hmm. and it's not going to change, then maybe that's where something else has to change, you know? And, and so I think understanding maybe what what you're flexible on and also understanding what you shouldn't be flexible on and kind of holding to that as best you can. Yeah, I like that a lot. I think that, you know, again, all of this stuff can be easier said than done. Ideally, these are the things that we would all be able to practice and, and incorporate and implement in our lives. But that word practice, I think is important to keep in mind that these are things as all goals are, we're working towards them and it takes practice and it takes dedication. And we're all going to have, you know, it's not linear. Progress is never linear, right? So it's going to be trying on what works for you, figuring out what doesn't, and then trying again the next day, practicing and trying to keep with it. 
I really appreciate your time today and talking us through some of these these things. And I know we just scratched the surface. If someone wants to learn more about, you know, the mental health and wellness resources that Backline offers, whether it's, you know, the, the free wellness subscriptions or the curated content or support groups, or even being able to speak one-on-one with a Backline case manager, what's the best place for them to get started? Going to www.backline.care, all of those uh, resources that Dave just mentioned are linked up on there. Um, you can also follow us on socials to find out you know, events that we have going on and lots of good resources that are also linked through our socials. Well, thank you so much for the time today. We have one more episode in the series that we'll release later this week where we'll talk a little more about managing stress on the job and also dealing with some uh, depression, which we, we all can uh, fight on a day-to-day basis as the weeks and months go by. But again, thank you so much for the time and all you're doing there with Backline. I think it's really cool what you and your team there did. Thank you all for having me. And a big thanks to everybody for listening to this special Detour episode of Adventures in Venueland. Remember, you can subscribe and find more episodes wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. We do love your five-star reviews. It helps others find us. Until the next adventure, I'm Dave Ruttelberger. And I'm Paul Hooper. We'll see you at the next one. And if you missed part one, be sure to go back and listen to that now. Adventures in Venueland is a side project of the Event and Venue Marketing Conference, a marketing conference that brings together diversified event and venue professionals to cultivate education, collaboration, and innovation for the growing sports and live entertainment industry. Find out more at eventvenuemarketing.com. Audio editing and mixing by Camille Faulkner. Design and digital advertising by Megan Ebeck. Copywriting and publicity by Samantha Marker. Guest booking and brand strategies by Paul Hooper. Guest research by Dave Rettelberger. Marketing strategies by Paul Hooper, Megan Ebeck, and Samantha Marker. Thanks for joining us. Until the next adventure.